Well, recently I've been picking up on a pattern in the scriptures, and I wanted to share it with you this morning and see if you could pick up on it with me. Um, Listen closely for a recurring theme in this group of scriptures that we're going to look at next. Deuteronomy 7 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Mark 12, someone asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In John 8, Jesus said to someone, um, If God were your father, you would love me. And in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Luke 7, Jesus turns towards a woman and speaks to Simon, the host of a, of a dinner in his honor, and says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet and she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. In Romans 8, we see that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And in Revelation chapter 2, we see that uh, it says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. 1 Corinthians 16 says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And in John 21 When they had finished breakfast, the resurrected Christ says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And uh, you probably picked up on it. Loving Jesus is a big deal. We could say, it's the big deal. Um, it's, it's bigger than I thought. It's bigger than I have definitely acknowledged. And it's definitely bigger than I have lived. And so during this sabbatical that I've been gifted, um, and I'm super mindful this morning that I've been given a tremendous gift. Most of you will never receive this kind of gift. Your boss is not going to say to you, why don't you just take the summer off and kind of retool? Okay. They don't, I know that doesn't happen for you, and so for you to give to me a gift that, I, that you will never receive is, is a great um, honor and a, a treasure for me. But my focus on this sabbatical that I've been gifted is that I want to learn how to love Jesus more. Um, that is my primary focus. I think I'll be a better pastor for you all if I can learn how to do that. Um, I'm afraid of what kind of pastor I will be if I don't. 
And so I have a lot to read and a lot to study and a lot to catch up on and some vacations are planned, but um, this sabbatical for me is not just a time to rest. It's a time, I hope it'll be a powerful tool for me to become a better pastor as I seek God and learn how to love Jesus more. Um, so the question that I'm going to bring to you this morning uh, out of the book of Hebrews is just this. Would you like to join me? Okay. Not on my sabbatical. I know you'd all love to join me on my sabbatical. But would you love to join me in learning how to love Jesus more? Um, I hope so. I hope Maybe even as those scriptures were read, you could sense the Spirit stirring in you and saying something like this, that's it. That's what you're here for. That's what your purpose is. That's where your joy is. That's what you're ultimately longing for, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I like the way a writer named Frederico Matthews Green described it. She said, my hunch is, that you are already sensing something of God's presence. Picture yourself walking around a shopping mall, looking at people in the window displays. Suddenly, you get a whiff of cinnamon. You weren't even hungry, but now you really crave a cinnamon roll. She says, this craving isn't something you made up. There you were, minding your own business, when some drifting molecules of sugar, butter, and spice collided with a susceptible patch inside your nose, and you had a real encounter with cinnamon. Not a mental delusion, not an emotional projection, but the real thing. And what was the effect? You want more now. And if you hunger to know the presence of God, it's because you've already begun to scent God's compelling delight. And so my hope is this morning at some level, um, you are inclined to join me in loving Jesus more. I hope you'll get and have gotten a whiff of the wonder of God. And when you slow down enough, maybe like this morning you are, you'll have an appetite for more. And I think that's why the book of Hebrews is written. It's written to help us with this. Uh, we've seen it already in the first four chapters with those warnings that are going to echo throughout the book of Hebrews. Um, he warns us not to let our hearts grow hard. In chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Just a couple verses later in verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And in, in the book of Hebrews, when he talks about our heart, it has to do both with our thoughts and our affections, our desires. But in part, I think he's saying something very similar to what the angel said to John in the book of Revelation in that second chapter, which we just read it already. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let your love for Jesus shrivel or wane or weaken or flatten or plateau or lessen in any way. 
Don't let your heart grow hard towards loving Jesus. And he warns us over and over about our hearts. But in addition to the warnings, he paints a picture of Jesus that truly is wonderful. And it's a picture that makes us want to love him all the more, to keep our hearts tender towards him. And so what I'd like to do today is review from the first three or four chapters of Hebrews that portrait of Jesus um, that's painted by the author here as we get ready to study the rest of the book, and we'll be in it pretty much interrupted up until um, almost Thanksgiving. Now, while I'm away this summer, uh, Mark, Mark was absolutely right. We have an all-star cast who are going to be teaching us, uh, men like Ben Merkel, Daniel Creswell, Jake Mason, Carson Cobb, Noah Joyner, Greg Mathias. From our D.C. church plant, uh, both Joey and Nathan are coming down to teach us. From our Rollsville church plant, both Brian and Ed are coming to teach us. From our, our um, North Raleigh church plant, Josh Reed is coming to teach us. And all the way from Kenya, Dennis Omandi is going to teach us. And if you were at our missions conference, uh, he's on loan to us for a year or so, and he's going to preach for us this summer too. So it's going to be fabulous. Um, I think it, the danger is it'll be so fabulous you may wish that I would stay away a little longer because these guys are going to, I can't imagine anywhere that's going to have a better string of teachers teaching us the word than this group of, of men. So we're going to look at the portrait of Jesus in Hebrews this morning to help us love him more. And by way of response as we go through it, after each section, we're going to look at three traits that he underscores about Jesus. And after each one of those, I'm going to use Jesus and Peter's little Q&A in John 21 that we've already read as a way for us to respond. It looks like this. We'll put this up on the screen every time. Jesus' question, I'll read to you. Jesus says, do you love me? And we'll respond as a church, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Help me to love you more. And so this will become for us not only confession of our love for Christ, but our prayer that he would deepen that love. So open up your Bibles to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, and uh, let me pray for us as we look at Christ, learn how to love him more together. Father, have mercy on us. Um, most of us don't know how much we need Jesus how small our love has gotten for Jesus, how amazing Jesus is. So begin the restoration process in our hearts this morning as we open up the scriptures. Exalt your son in our eyes and deepen our love for him in our hearts. We pray this in his name and for his sake and for our joy. Amen. All right, what we're doing today really is part of our mission as a church our mission, our statement, reads like this. The mission of Northwake is to reach the lost and equip them to join with us in the process of becoming mature and ministering worshipers of God. Now, an M&M worshiper has nothing to do with candy and everything to do with loving the God and his church and our neighbors. These three circles we studied last year, which are really the, the outpouring of our, our mission statement. We would be growing in our devotion to love for God, 
for his church, his people, and for our neighbors, for those outside of Christ's family. And so today our focus will be on that first circle, love for, love for God, as we learn how to love Jesus more because of these first, this portrait in Hebrews. And the first thing I want to show you from, the, from these first chapters of the book of Hebrews is that it presents Jesus to us as the maker. Okay? He is the maker of everything. Right out of the box, verse 2 says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. As the maker, Jesus is also given the title here of sustainer of the universe. Twice in these opening verses of the book, the writer wants us to see Jesus as the maker and sustainer of everything that is, of the air that you're breathing right now. Jesus created and he is sustaining for our good. Go down just a few more verses in chapter 1, verse 10. We read that you, Lord, speaking of Christ, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. Okay. Okay. Jesus is the maker of everything and the sustainer of it. I'd like for you just to bear that in mind. Keep that framework as you watch uh, this video with me. Jesus is the maker of everything we're about to see. Let's watch it together. Lying down beneath the stars 
See, I, I believe that Jesus made it all. Everything we saw, everything we experience every day, Jesus is the maker of it all, according to the book of Hebrews. And it's easy for us to miss this in our busyness. We, we miss the whiff of cinnamon that comes to us from creation to get lost in the wonder of God. I think it would do us well to adopt, adopt the attitude of the people that attend a conference called the Boring Conference. Um, it, it happens in England. It is, as it says here, a one-day event that seeks to make the mundane interesting. Past events have featured talks on sneezing, German film titles, inkjet printers, and the history of lampposts. Other topics include, again, sneezing, toast, the sounds made by vending machines, the shipping forecast, barcodes, yellow lines, inkjet printers of 1999, ice cream van chimes, how to cook elaborate meals with the equipment found in hotel bedrooms, and similarities between 198 of the world's national anthems. Um, there's a guy that gave a talk about electric hand dryers. He was so excited about them, he had a Dyson Airblade installed in his own bathroom. You know those things where you dip your hand in and it blows off? They're so cool. But anyway, um, that's what the conference is about, finding something interesting. The conference is sold out every year. Finding something interesting in subjects considered to be trivial and pointless, but when examined more closely, reveal themselves to be deeply fascinating. You know, I experienced this morning on my boring drive in from Youngsville. Okay, roll the windows down. It's a beautiful morning before I get out of the neighborhood. There's a mockingbird imitating everything that he's ever heard going off in the neighborhood. I come out farther, I turn down John Mitchell, headed out towards Capitol, and I hear, or I see uh, the gray sky pops open and the first rays of sun light up a blue patch with orange clouds. It just makes me smile that Jesus would be so kind to give me gifts like that on my boring drive into church this morning. Leonardo da Vinci once observed that the average human looks without seeing, listens without hearing, touches without feeling, eats without tasting, inhales without awareness of odor or fragrance, and talks without thinking. But not da Vinci. Da Vinci, this quintessential Renaissance man called the five senses the ministers of the soul. And Hebrews tells us that every day, all day we are experiencing the handiwork of Jesus all around us, ceaselessly, wondrously. Every grandson, every sunset, every musical note, every bird's song, every scintillating taste, every refreshing breeze, every drop of water. Jesus is the maker. I like the way... Um, Pastor Ed Dobson puts it, in the fall of 2000, doctors diagnosed Ed Dobson with ALS, which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It is an incurable and fatal disease, and the doctors gave him two to five years, predicted that he would spend most of that time in a disabled condition. And so shortly after he was diagnosed, he, he wanted someone to anoint him with oil and pray for healing. 
And he wanted someone to pray who really believed in healing. So Ed invited a friend who was a Pentecostal pastor who had regular healing services to come over and pray for him. And this is how Ed described what happened. He said, it was one of the most moving evenings of my entire life. He began by telling stories of people, the pastor did, stories of people who had pray, he had prayed for who were miraculously healed. And then he also told stories about people he'd prayed for who were not healed and who had passed away receiving their ultimate healing and final healing from Jesus. Before he prayed for me, this is the advice he gave to Ed Dobson. He said, don't become obsessed with getting healed, Ed, he said. If you get obsessed with getting healed, you will lose your focus. Get lost instead in the wonder of God. And who knows what he will do for you. He said, this is some of the best advice I have ever received. And since that night, I've been trying to get and stay lost in the wonder of God. Because for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is our maker, and this is what he asks of us. Do you love me? And we say, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Help me to love you more. Now, the early chapters of Hebrews uh, teach us another wonderful thing about Jesus. Um, he is our maker. He is also our revealer. In other words, he shows God to us. By looking at Jesus, we can truly know what God is like. And the very first verses of the book set the stage for this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So as the rays are to the sun, as the mold is to the coin that bears the imprint, so the sun is to God, exact, precise, accurate, true, revealing the Father to us. And the New Testament teaches us everywhere. In John chapter 1, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, has made him known. John 14, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In Colossians, Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Philippians, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus came to show us the Father. He is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to know the Father but through Him. And He shows us God as only a son can. Right? Hebrews identifies Jesus as God's Son repeatedly. Chapter 1, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Chapter 3, Christ is faithful over God's house 
as a son. Chapter four, we'll hear from Joey Kraft next week. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews speaks of Jesus clearly as God's Son. And as the Son of God, he shows us the Father as only a son can. But Hebrews says it's more than, than even like father, like son. Hebrews says it's like God, like God. Because the Son is called God. In chapter 1, verse 8, of the Son, Scripture says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever as Jesus himself does in that John 14 passage. The writer of Hebrews does here, telling us Jesus is God. And as a result, in a way that no one else who has ever lived can do, Jesus shows us what God the Father is like. So if you want to know the Father, look to his Son. Listen to his Son. Study his Son. Believe his Son. Follow his son, because the son came to show us the father. Without Jesus, we are blind guides like the religious leaders who rejected him. Misguided, misinformed, leading others astray by our ignorance. And uh, this revealing work of Jesus, how he shows us the father, is the only way we can truly know God. And it's a great kindness to us. Um, Think, think about it this way. I owe a great debt to my next-door neighbor in college when we were living in apartments um, my last couple years. Across the hall, there were four of us in one apartment, guys, and across the hall were a group of four girls. One of them's name was Jeannie Hampton, and um, I owe Jeannie a remarkable debt. Um, she was, a, she was a Christian as well and had been involved in what then was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's crew. And uh, she had gone on a mission trip with crew the previous summer uh, to Myrtle Beach, and I was about to go uh, overseas with crew uh, that next summer, and they sent me a list of the roster of everybody that was on my trip, my mission trip. And she said, oh, let me see the list and see if I know anybody. And she's looking down the list of people, and she goes, oh, I know that girl, Mary Ford. I know her. Um, you should meet her. And I was skeptical. And she said, wait, let me show you a picture. And she got out a picture, and I was no longer skeptical. I wanted to meet this girl. You know her as Mary Stephanie Trotter. Um, she was Mary Ford at that point in time. And I owe Jeannie Hampton a life's debt for introducing me, showing me what Mary Stephanie Ford Trotter looked like at that point in time. Um, Jesus is the only one who can truly show us what the Father is like. He is the only one who can make that introduction. And so this morning, Jesus, our maker, and the one who reveals God to us, asks us, do you love me? And we say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Help me to love you more. Jesus doesn't just show us what the Father's like, though. He makes a way for us to truly know God as our Father. Again, in the early chapters of the book of Hebrew, early verses, verse 3, it says, After making purification for sins, 
Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purifications for sins. He is doing something for us that we simply cannot do. He is making our sins pure. Um, our efforts to do that end up just plain silly. Think about it this way with me. Um, these are new terms that have been coined for everyday occurrences. The first one is called lactomangulation, and it is manhandling the open here spout on a milk container so badly that one has to resort to the illegal side. Lactomangulation. The second one is carperpetuation, and it's the act when vacuuming of running over a string or a piece of lint at least a dozen times, reaching over, picking it up, examining it, and then putting it back down to give the vacuum one more chance. Right? Another one, this is a noun, frust. It's the small line of debris that refuses to be swept onto the dustpan and keeps backing a person across the room until he finally decides to give up and in frustration, sweep it under the rug. Now, this last one touches on where we are this morning, disconfect. It is to attempt to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it, assuming this will somehow remove all the germs. And that's what our best efforts to purify our own sins are like, to self-atone for our sins. It's like disconfection. It's like blowing on a drop piece of candy. It's really just wishful thinking because the scriptures are clear. We simply cannot atone for our own sins. We cannot render ourselves pure. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Paul picks up on that idea in the New Testament in Romans 3 and says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Um, but Hebrews tells us the good news. Jesus made purification for sins. Sinners can be rendered pure in God's sight through Jesus. Isaiah puts it beautifully when he talked about what it would be like. He says in Isaiah chapter 1, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I was reading that um, did you know snow blindness is a real thing? You really can get snow blind. It's a, it's a painful temporary loss of vision due to overexposure to the sun's UV rays that are reflected off things like snow, or water surface, that kind of stuff. The medical term for snow blindness is photokeratitis. That is um, a sunburned eye or a sunburned cornea. Snow is that white, that pure, that reflective, that it can actually do that. And the imagery used by Isaiah here is that strong. He's grasping for the things that are the whitest, most reflective things that he knows. It's like, it's like a lamb's wool. It's like snow. We are rendered that pure. Hebrews uses another way to say what Jesus does in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation 
for the sins of the people, to make propitiation for us. It's, a, it's, an, it's an older word. Some of your Bibles render it the word atonement. And the ideas behind it are twofold primarily. One is that when he propitiates our sins, when he atones for it, he takes them away from us and we don't have to bear them anymore. We don't have to bear our sins anymore. But the second idea is also that he takes away the wrath of God and the judgment of God for our sin. And as our sin is no longer held against us because the penalty has been paid in full by Jesus' death in our place on the cross, God is now free to justly lavish on us the fullness of his pleasure and kindness, his delight, his joy, because Jesus bore the fullness of his wrath on the cross. He made propitiation for our sins. And Hebrews says that he did that through the humiliation of becoming one of us and then tasting death for us. Chapter two talks about this in verse nine. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Skip down a couple more verses in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore, the child, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of flesh and blood. I, I'm not even gonna try to say it better than St. Augustine said it 1,600 years ago. He wrote these words, our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. And again he writes, He so loved us that for our sake He was made man in time. Although through Him all times were made, He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute. And then, having become like us, one of us, he tasted death for us. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone everyone. Bob Russell tells the story of Carla Faye Tucker. You may have heard of her. Her name might sound familiar to you. In 1983, she helped to kill two people with a pickaxe, and she was so um, immersed in her behavior, she laughed while she did it. She was found guilty, she was imprisoned, but on death row, Carla Faye Tucker became a born-again Christian, and everyone who was close enough to her said, um, you cannot question the legitimacy of her conversion experience. And Carla Faye Tucker became the first woman executed in Texas since the Civil War era, but as she lay strapped on that gurney, she delivered her final message to those gathered to witness her execution. She said, I'm going to be face-to-face -face with Jesus now, 
I love you all very much. I'll see all of you when you get here. No matter how black your sin, Bob Russell writes, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse it and make it white as snow. No matter how inhuman your nature, the power of the Holy Spirit can transform it from bitterness to tenderness and faith. And it is only by Jesus becoming like us and tasting death for us on the cross that we have a way to know God, to truly know God as our Father. Only He can make purification for all our sins, the worst of our sins, the darkest, most secret of our sins, He can purify. And so Jesus, our Maker, the Revealer, our Savior, who became one of us and tasted death for us, asks us, do you love me? And we say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Help me to love you more. So this is what I'm going to be thinking about and studying and praying about this summer while I'm away from my usual responsibilities here at the church. My overarching priority personally is to draw near to God in such a way that I love Jesus more. Um, would you like to join me? Yeah. All right, brother. I hope you will. I hope you can sense the Spirit of God inviting you into this this morning. I hope you're catching a whiff this morning in a way that makes you want to know Jesus better and love him more. He is our maker, our revealer, our savior. And he is worthy of our best love, our deepest love, our most fervent, passionate, wholehearted love. And to close our time in the scriptures this morning, I'd like to end it a little differently. I'm gonna ask a couple of our elders who are in the room to come up and lead us in prayer for me. And for anyone who has a sense that you want to join me this summer in seeking to know Jesus better and love him more. And if you sense that this morning, I'd like to encourage you to come down front in just a minute and join me. And I know that, you know, when you say, uh, who, wants to, who wants to love Jesus more? That's kind of like saying, who doesn't like their sin? You know, everybody raises their hand, right? And so I, I know that this morning, if, I only want you to come down front for prayer if you sense God is really inviting you and drawing you into a response um, to what he's been saying this morning, that you want to know him better and love him more. And you're willing to pursue that this summer with me in your own way, in your own, own time. And so if you'll stand, um, I'm going to come down here and I've got a couple elders in, the, in here that are willing to pray for us. And then Daniel's going to close us this part of our time in song and some closing information. But uh, if you would like, if you get a sense this morning, you really want to love Jesus more. If God is pressing you on that, come down here and join me. And we'll bow here at the front. And our elders and the church are going to pray for us. So come on down if that's something that God's pressing you about.
merciful God, gracious Master, Jesus, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, firstborn among many brethren, mediator, king, savior. You who have revealed God to us, the Father, Lord Jesus, we long to love you more. But our hearts are distracted. We're busy with the noise of life. We fail to see the singing bird or the beautiful sunrise or the smile on another's face who reflects the glory of God. We fail to see, to slow down enough, to see your hand at work in the simplest of ways. And we fail to trust you, Lord. We fail to trust that in tragedy and in good that you are the creator of all these things and that you are using these things for our good. We fail to believe that your word speaks truth to us when it says that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you dance over us with singing. We fail to grasp the magnitude of your love. The people with whom you have surrounded us who love us and love you and encourage us to pursue you. And so we confess. This morning, brothers and sisters alike, we confess, God, this busyness, this distraction that that we want so much to be rid of. We want so much to taste and see that you are good. Yes, we want, Lord, to uh, love you so that the desires of our hearts, that you will, that we will delight ourselves in you and you will fulfill us with the desires of our hearts. God, we want that. And so as Larry uh, sets aside his, his other duties this summer to focus on that, God, may we be also pursue you in this manner, God, and may we all have be able to come back together after this time and while we're in the midst of the time to, to be able to encourage one another in this process, God, that we have a lifelong journey to love you. And for how many ever days you give to us, many or few, God, may we pour ourselves out toward this great goal so that in the end of our days, Oh, we will rejoice together at your kindness to us. And others will see and be drawn to you who do not know you, have never experienced this love, or don't understand what we're talking about. And so, God, we, your people, confess that we do love you and ask you, God, to help us to love you more. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, when we consider the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Yet, you've shown us your love in this, that you would send your one and only son into this world that we might live through him. It's not that we have loved you, Father, but that you have loved us. And you have sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if you have so loved us, 
God, help us to love one another. God, help us to love you. Grow in us a great affection and a great awe of you. Help us to love you better. I love you, Lord.